Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. for the amazing intro. Please check him out on the internet. Just look for Ken Quietalk or Native Storytellers. He and his wife, Deb, uh, are amazing practitioners of an ancient technique that helps to preserve history, cosmology, and all sorts of wonderful things in manners that uh, teach and educate in, in an enjoyable and enlightened way. And probably our children would be better at history if this was how it was presented to them. Also, if you are listening to the show in archive on, on YouTube, preferably, uh, please, if you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, subscribe to the show because that's really the only way we know you're listening. So give us a boost. We'd really appreciate it. One of the most important but little-known concepts of Western occultism is that of the egregore, an autonomous psychic energy created by a collective group mind an egregore is sustained by belief, ritual, and sacrifice and relies upon the devotion of a group of people from a small coven to an entire nation for its existence. An egregore that receives enough sustenance can take on a life of its own, becoming an independent deity with powers it believes can use to further their own spiritual advancement and material desires. Mark Stavish, uh, in his book, which we're talking about, Egregores, the Occult Entities that Watch Over Human Destiny, examines the history of egregores from ancient times to present day with detailed and documented examples and explores how they are created, sustained, directed, and destroyed. He explains how egregores were, were well known in the classical period of ancient Greece and Rome when they were consciously called into being to watch over city-states. He explores the egregore concept as it was understood in various Western mystery traditions, including the Corpus Hermeticum, and offers further examples from Tibetan Buddhism, Islam, modern, modern esoteric orders, such as the Order of the Golden Dawn and Rosicrucianism, 
the writings of H.P. Lovecraft and Kenneth Grant, and the followers of Julia Savola and Alastair Crawley. He discusses how even as the fundamental principles of the egregore were forgotten, egregores continued to be formed, sometimes even by accident. Mark is a respected authority on Western spiritual traditions, the author of 26 books published in seven languages. He's the founder and director of the Institute for Hermetic Studies and the Louis-Claude de, de Saint-Martin Fund. I butchered that, but he'll probably say it right. He was, he's appeared on radio shows, television, and in major print media, including Coast to Coast AM, the History Channel, BBC, and the New York Times, as well as the author of the blog, Vox Hermes. Uh, an amazing comus vitus that obviously can choke even me. Um, I want to welcome to the show Mark. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Well, you, your book is, is amazing, and um, as I, I told you before the show, I've now read it twice, and I found that um, while there are even more questions, I, I, I have a better grasp as to what an egregore is. But for those of, of the people in the audience, and prior to reading your book, I would have been one of them, do you want to explain what an egregore is? Well, really or what, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's Greek, so we don't even try to pronounce it correctly. Uh, uh. Th- there's really two definitions of an egregore, but they fundamentally, you know, it's the same thing. It's just a matter of whether you want to look at the classical view or the modern view. And in the modern view, uh, it is uh, a type of collective consciousness. So whenever you're in any group, there's a kind of groupthink that takes place. And that can be anything from your local knitting club to the PTA to your church uh, or even to your local political parties or, or anything, that, or, or baseball team. Whatever you happen to be in, any group has a certain group attitude that it begins to cultivate. We see this very powerfully, particularly in now places of employment, where you talk about the corporate uh, codes of ethics not just ethics, but also corporate culture. That's really the word I'm looking for. So when we see these cultures develop, that is, in a sense, an egregore, because there's that which is of the culture inside of it and that which is outside of it. Okay, we're familiar with that. Now, traditionally, an egregore was more than just that. Not only was it, we'll say, the corporate culture of a religion or a sect or a particular cult around a deity, but it also was a conduit between the priestcraft and the followers on terra firma down here, all the way through the psychic or the astral realms, whatever you want to think of them as, and intelligences in those realms, ultimately to an ultimate intelligence of some kind. And that final intelligence could be a deity uh, or, well, whatever you wanted to think of it as, whether a god, an archangel, uh, maybe some might think of it as an enlightened being, others a demon, who knows, but there was always something else or other at the other end, and that the egregore was the conduit or funnel that connected us down here on, on the earth to it. Well, it, it just, you know, the, the more I thought about what the definition of it was, the more I realized that we're surrounded by them and, and you know, often even define ourselves by 
the egregores that we have and or are connected to. Now, the 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 concept of what an egregore is is thought. But what happens when a great deal of thought is put into it? Can it take on a life of its own? Well, there's several questions there. And, yes, we're surrounded by quite a few of these egregores or different group thinks. And the first group think might be your family. Okay, now, for many people, that's not too big of a deal. Uh, they can enter into and out of that family egregore with a, a certain amount of ease. I mean, everyone has a little bit of friction. But for the most part, they go in and out with ease. Uh, another aspect of an egregore that was in the family you might see is by a peculiar crime statistic, and that is that, and the exact number escapes me, but some amazingly large percentage of crimes they found were committed repeatedly by the same families over multiple generations. So that whole notion of what constitutes the family business, if you will, uh, is more than just what we would say is passed on in a whole framework of, of what does it mean to be a person in that family. And you see that also in another end, uh, where uh, certain families, we could say, have a definite egregores, whether it's the royal families of Europe or elsewhere, or, you know, Asia, Africa, or something like the Kennedys. And when you look at the Kennedys, they, they have a, a profound mystique around them that we can definitely say is an egregore. There are some things which are very definitely Kennedy-esque, and some things which are not. So the family is really the first egregore. And then, of course, there's our community that we're in and how we identify with that community. And then schools, you know, people have the schools have the mascots, and they identify very strongly with their, their school teams in high school or college. Uh, then there's place of employment, okay, and how people may even dress to conform to certain codes in that. So, yes, we're, we're a part of a, a variety of egregores at all times. And ultimately, it is, as you've said, what we identify with. That's the controlling nature of the egregore. All egregores are at their heart a social control mechanism so that someone says, I am, and then fills in the blank. And I always say, uh -huh. you know, when Moses saw the burning bush, he said, you know, well, who are you? And the voice turns back and says, you know, I am that which I am. That's how it's translated. And my uncle used to say, well, you know, that, that, terrible, that wasn't terribly helpful. But, you know, what happens is, is in, hypnosis, <laughs> you know, in hypnosis or in any kind of affirmation work, as many of your listeners may know, we say I am and then we fill in the blank. Uh -huh. So uh, the ego is really an essential part of our being. And it's our control mechanism, our identifying mechanism. So when the ego says I am and leaves it at that, we're open to a host of wonderful things. When we say I am and then fill in the blank, it narrows it to something specific. When, when you give an egregore power, though, it can take, it, it can take you over, so to speak. And, and the, the, the one family, you were talking family, and all I could think of was the mob. Um, that is a family, that is an egregore. If you're a part of that egregore, if you try to leave, your, your life is at an end. So it can have a dangerous connotation as well. Well, that's an exceptional example because um, what you see with, uh, say, you know, the notions of the old mafia 
or even now uh-huh. with the, some of the narco gangs, uh, there is a religious element to it. There is a kind of initiatic aspect to it that many people aren't aware of, you know, partly their naming ceremonies, how they get a new name and all that. But people yeah. who go into that, they know what they're getting into. And in that, in that knowing of what they're getting into, they are fully cognizant of what is expected of them. Uh, so in that sense, uh, they are a willful, conscious participant in that egregore. Okay? They're all in. It's not accidental. So there's a tremendous amount of uh, relationship, emotional relationship that goes on there. Other people kind of slide into an egregore by accident. They don't even know they're doing it. And that's where they, you know, they may join up with a cause of some kind or a movement of some kind. And everything starts out really nice. It's going well. Or maybe it's a religious movement or a political movement. And then after a while, they realize, hey, you know, I'm not getting what I was promised. I didn't sign on for this. I signed on for something else. And then they try to leave, but they really can't. And they can't explain why. And when they stop and think about it maybe years later, it's because they have invested so much emotional energy into that identity, into forging that identity and that relationships, that they can't think of themselves as being anything but a part of that. Uh-huh. Uh, a very well, what we could say is a a codependent relationship is developed and maintained on a huge level. So an addiction is a kind of egregore, then. Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, but it, it has elements of it. Um, mm-hmm. You could say that there's egregores within some of the recovery movement, like AA and NA, because of their size. They're so huge. Um, we could say there is a definite spiritual or metaphysical aspect to addiction that is, uh, and drug use and abuse that isn't really talked about. Uh, so there might be a little bit there. Uh, if we were to say there was an egregore to addiction, it would be along the lines, I think, of um, being a little more precise. Uh, the types of characteristics and personalities that are involved in specific drug uses. Okay. Okay, okay it's so a little more we... specific. So just right, remember well... this. Think of it this way. All egregores are thought forms, but not all thought forms are egregores. Ooh. Because egregores okay. by their nature are collective. An egregore by its nature is collective. Thought forms aren't necessarily collective. So, so let's take it back to the gods and goddesses of Rome and, and Egypt mm-hmm. and all of those. Mm-hmm. Now, they, are, they, they were a thought form, they were, but they took on personalities. And now, would, would yeah. they be considered egregores? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and it's hard to say what they were, meaning in the beginning. We don't really know how they began or what they began as. Uh, we just know that they're really significant focal points of energy and intelligence and consciousness. And uh, to say that human beings created them uh, through their thoughts uh, and then they took on a life of their own, that's one attitude, but not necessarily one we can verify. You know, they, uh-huh. these entities may have pre-existed, and we just kind of wrapped ourselves around them in some way. And the cosmic, you know, the cosmos, the universe is a, is a very complex place, and, and there's a lot of views on how these things came into being. And, and I don't spend a lot of time on that 
aspect, that metaphysical aspect, because I, I, I don't know when, what happened in the beginning. I don't know when the, the beginningless beginning was or any of that. Uh, I just know that these entities exist, uh, that they exist on a certain level that is very complex, and that um, we can develop relationships with them. We have relationships, whether we like it or not. An example might be through astrology or something like that. And that these forces, these forces are, are powerful and profound. And that it's better for us to have some sense of awareness of them than not. And then from that, from the, say, planetary or deity forces that are constantly around us, we can't really escape too much from those because it's simply because of astrology, as I said, the cycles of uh-huh. the day, the cycles of the week, cycles of the year. Uh, but we can get a better understanding where we're not trapped by them, where they don't dominate us. And that's where a lot of metaphysical yes. practices come in, you know, where you begin to understand what's happening and you go with the flow rather than, uh-huh. you know, be swamped by it. And, of course, you know this and your listeners are well aware of that. Um, the more insidious egregores, of course, are, uh, as I've said, political and religious movements usually, almost exclusively, because they seek to manipulate and abuse our goodwill. And now not all of yeah. them do. I want to make this clear. There, there are healthy egregores out there, but, you know, they're living beings, and they go through life cycles too. And I can think of several organizations that I'm familiar with that, wow, I mean, in the beginning, they were spectacular. And they went through their life cycle, and you could see it, and there's a little bit of a downturn, a little downturn, and now, you know, they're still around, and they're okay, but... They're not what they were. Not, a, not even close. Okay. Not even close. To yeah. I I in when I was reading your book, I, it it um I was it brought to memory. Um, this this betrays how old I am, but I was watching a Star. It reminded me of a Star Trek episode where they um landed on a planet, I guess, and the inhabitants were all the old Roman gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I know that were, one. Yes. They were, they were sort of annexed there because people stopped believing in them and they lost their power. And that's an egregore, right? I mean, you know. Exactly, exactly. In fact, just for the listeners, uh, apparently about maybe – Quite a few years ago, and I, I, did, I just started watching it on YouTube recently, uh, some folks recreated the original series set and started up with the continuing adventures of Star Trek. And the actors, they don't necessarily look like, you know, the actors who played Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Uh-huh. But the set, the costumes is, are identical. The tone, the way they talk, the way they move, the way they act. I've watched it, and I, I, I didn't even think about comparing them to you know Shatner and Nimoy and and DeForest Kelly in my mind, uh-huh. because they were so into it. Now it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but it was for me, who was a, a huge uh, Star Trek fan as a kid. Uh, wow, these guys did a great job. And and they really tapped into that Star Trek egregore. I mean, they really have it down because it's just a great show. And one of the first ones I watched was, I think, the first episode or the second episode, 
And it's a continuation of the one you just mentioned, where the, 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 the ancient god, I think it was Apollo, uh, yeah. is doing his thing. And he gets stronger as he gets adulation from the crew. So that emotional energy, those prayers, those offerings, those sacrifices, uh, those are what give energy to that psychic conduit. Okay, so here's where here's where I um, I kind of get a little bit skewed. If you if you give enough power to, for instance, like a major religion or a major political party, I mean. Can an egregore actually take on physicality? Oh, sure, because our thoughts can take on physicality. In fact, physicality is thought. And that's the nature of it, right? It says, in the beginning was the word. Well, in the beginning yeah. was, uh, or, or the Big Bang, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that was, that was not physicality. That was some kind of an idea that... You know, and I say we use the word idea, but it, it's, it's that a concept, some kind of conceptualization that becomes concrete as we understand it, that becomes realized. And, and some of your uh, listeners may be somewhat familiar with that in terms of just physical healing, psychic healing. You know, how is it that that energy moves into and through a person and helps accelerate their healing process? Now, that's a form of, of, uh, of uh, mind over matter, if you will, kind of psychokinesis, if you will. And then you okay. see that process again in another way in uh, physical mediumship, whether it's through an aport or the formation of uh, what one might consider ectoplasm. You know, we go from the intangible to the tangible. We go through that gradation mm-hmm. of... I, I, I hesitate to say the word vibration. I dislike that so much, but the gradations of um, subtleness or concreteness, you know, from what we think of as very concrete and real to a very subtle realm of thought and, all, and back and across that whole spectrum of possibility. So, yes, our thoughts uh, feed into this, and it can take on, or manifest uh, itself in some way or uh, take on some vehicle to manifest itself. You know, often energy goes like water through the path of least resistance. So if there's uh, an... I get how an egregore can become a powerful organization. Mm -hmm. And is the the concept of whatever the foundation, well, see, I, there are, there are foundations out there and I, I'm trying not to name any cause I don't want to, you know, skew anybody, but in the, in the, in the process of creating a huge, let's just make it a make-believe one. So, so that there are a lot of people that think and, and are focused on a certain concept and they're, they're working together as a group and they form a, a solid group that that then becomes so well known and well liked that more more and more people are attracted to it so so then an egregore is born cool. and it gets bigger cool. and bigger and bigger so that so that it, but at some point does the egregore take on almost 
a, a life of its own as opposed to the original concept from the foundation. Oh, it can very much so. And, and I think to give, uh, you know, an example uh, or two examples uh, that would be very simple is we could look at uh, national socialism. You know, most people know it as Nazism. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know if, if you look at the original national socialism of, you know, 1920, 22, when it was a small party uh, and what it later became uh, under Hitler, which is really Hitlerism, uh, and I'm not supporting National Socialism as original form. I'm just showing how something can be arced, you know, yeah. and go to how an idea can be taken. And wow, I mean, not only does it move, but it moves really away from its base and becomes something else entirely. Uh, and it's still part of it. I mean, it's rooted in it, but it changes and morphs and changes. And uh, the original founders, had, they lost control of it. Okay? Uh, uh-huh. Now, look, look at now, and I say that because that happened in a short span of years. That's why I bring it up for the listener. It's easy yeah. to see how that happened in a very short span of years. Another example might be Christianity. You know, if we look at the Christianity of the early church, and then we look how that has changed dramatically over almost two centuries, uh, there you see how something can take on a life of its own that begins to disconnect it from its roots. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so here's here's where my question is. Okay, so so it it does get disconnected from its roots. It can. Does it's it not necessarily a, it, will, but it can. Okay. So let's let's go with it did. And mm-hmm. and so so then what fuels it? If it's disconnected from its roots, because isn't that where it gets its energy from, the roots, or or does it not need the adoration or or participation anymore once that happens? Well, I think what you need to look at is um, a phrase we use called mission creep, and um, you know, for you know, for for the earlier example I said of National Socialism. Uh, it expanded by going beyond its original scope. So as it expanded, it got more adherence, and as those more adherence, it got more juice, more energy, more followers, and pretty soon you got these massive rallies in Nuremberg, and you know it's huge. Okay, and people now people see films of them. Uh, if you look at say the Catholic Church, okay, and how that changed its over time in mission, and its mission morphed over time and changed over time, or the Orthodox churches or, you know, the Protestant churches of which there are a variety, I mean, there are many, um, that mission creep is kind of how they keep and maintain adherence. And uh, not to offend anyone, but, I mean, most of the religious movements today, particularly most of the Christian movements, aren't really religions in the typical sense, meaning they don't really uh, connect you, you know, as in religion, religare, to yoke. They don't really connect you to the invisible. They don't really connect you to the to the divine. They're, they're more right. or less... They're more or less political movements. They have substituted religion and prayer. They have substituted prayer and meditation. They don't teach that for uh-huh. uh, teachings on uh, for political teachings. Essentially, to be a good person means you do this. To be a good person means you do that. Uh, it doesn't have. It, it's not about an inner realization or an inner effort. 
Now, why? Because by, it's easier to tell people what to do than it is to teach them. And when you get more people doing it, because it's easier to do that than to meditate or to pray, you do understand, you can spread from your original base, you can move away from it slowly or quickly, still grow and still have adherence, you know, and still have, have all that psychic juice moving into you. But the original church had a small group of dedicated people with a tremendous amount of psychic force behind it. Yeah. And most of the groups do. I mean, to give an example, you know, Fidel Castro, you know, he was once asked about, you know, the, the, the Cuban revolution. And um, he said, uh, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I, I would just do it with a, a dozen or so people. And what he was talking about is the focus of zealotry, the focus of dedication, that emotional content. Now, let's move into something more positive, like uh, your radio show or someone's business. You know, you know who's going to succeed often by the amount of emotional energy they put into that effort, in, into that project. Now, same principle. One is personal. The other is collective. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and the, other, um, the other correlation that, that you – that, that I picked up on it may not you it may not have even been your point but um but it resonated with me I guess is the best way to put it um in in a spiritual journey um you know that's 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 you know a main drive in my life you know it, it evolving and growing and and um learning and and uh kind of expanding consciousness as best I can. And it's been something that has been really, really important to me for my entire life. And from time to time, I have been in groups of study and stuff like that. But always I pulled myself away from it when when the group started to determine what I was supposed to believe as opposed to what I felt I was supposed to believe. And so i have i have basically purposely on this journey stayed away from large groups because it felt to me that that where for some it was a place of comfort and knowingness for me it was a place of restriction so that so that quite often for those on a spiritual journey the the ones that have kind of done their own thing and in their own way seem to for them, that seems to have been a better way to grow and go. Well, everybody has to find their own path. And I always uh-huh. encourage people to, you know, join a few groups, join a, a couple, stay with them for a few years, uh, get a good education in something. Because, you know, if we could do it on our own, we would. However, uh, religious or spiritual training uh, should be like, a school. You know, like at the Institute for Hermetic Studies, we have a course of study. Uh-huh. And it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Now, we have practices that we suggest you do. We don't really know who does them and who doesn't because I'm not checking up on people. If they want to tell me, they can. If they don't, that's fine too. Now, people uh-huh. who have a more intense relationship and more personal, then I know I'm, you know I'm more involved in what they do, but they've made that decision. It's not something that's imposed upon them. And within the teachings, there's a lot of ideas and principles, but uh, 
you have to discover their veracity for yourself. You have to experience them. It's, it's not something that we can say, uh, well, you're a good student because you believe this. Uh, I can't say uh, that is in accordance with tradition or that is in accordance with this school or that school. Um, I can say that to you. However, to say that in most instances, there are, I mean, there's going to be clearly some exceptions to this, in most instances that you're, you're definitely wrong. Uh, is, oh, yeah. is not always possible. Like if someone comes into me and says the earth is flat, well, you're wrong. The earth is not flat. The earth is round. Okay? And that, you know, and if someone wants to tell me that the earth is hollow, I say, mm, well, you know, uh, let's, uh, we might want to reconsider that. So there's some <laughs> things that, you know, people can, yeah, there's some things that people can say. There's, there's also, I've had some people say things about angels, we'll say angels, you know, and of course they'll say, well, you know, what do you mean by an angel? Uh, whose definition are we using? What school of thought are we using? And you see that in a lot of schools of yoga or Buddhism or whatever, tantra, magic, what have you. It's very important to define your terms so that you can avoid argument. You know, know what you really agree that you know what you're both talking about. But once that's done, you uh, spirituality should be about a practice. Now, the teacher teachers give you a series of practices to do and that you as a student then go out and do it. It's no different than painting. Uh, I can teach you how to paint, but you still have to go paint. Uh, someone can teach you how to play the guitar, but then you still have to go do it. And what happens in that process is a revelation of, uh, of your own potentialities. And that's what spirituality is about. It's about a revelation of your own potentialities. It's not about specific doctrines or, oh, yeah. parroting, ba- or parroting back perceived truths, which may or may not no. be true. Yeah. No, and there's, so, there is no denying that group energy is phenomenal. Anybody who has ever sat in a, um, in a group of of, of Alakuts and and sat with maybe a thousand people doing the Om knows what what it feels like in your body to be one of a group like that. It is it, it is amazing. It's an amazing high, and it, it's something that is very difficult uh, to get to on your own. But when you have all of the energies blended together, it, it's a very powerful feeling. There is no denying that at all. Well, you just nailed it. And and that is, look, when we're starting out, and not always just when we're starting out, sometimes we've been doing it for a while, you know, because things go ebb and flow. They go go up and down. It's not a steady escalation or a steady movement forward on our journey, on any journey, okay? So you get that jump start from a group. Uh Mm-hmm. You know, you like jump starting a car with a with another car, and you connect the battery cables up, and off you go. And that jump start can be addictive because it's so much better. And it even says in the book where I quote, uh, I think Alexander David Neal in one of her books, where someone says, "We do, um, how does it go? We do in a group, to, or we do together what we cannot do alone." meaning that 
if the person was able to do these things on their own, they wouldn't necessarily need the power of a group. So they yeah. gather a group, they get the group work, they get the group going. Now, that said, that high uh, can be extremely addictive uh, because it is a chemical rush in the body. There is a hormonal rush. Uh-huh. There is an, an experience on the nervous system. And we often, meaning my friends and I, who, who are authors, we would talk about the problems of what we call the seminar junkies. And these are people who would just constantly going from seminar to seminar because that's how they're getting their rush. You know, you go to this seminar, wow, this is great. You go to this seminar, wow, this is great. And then they crash. Mm-hmm. And I, I, well, you... I'm trying to think if... Um, if Tony Robbins might even have talked about this a little bit, not, not that it really matters, uh, but, you know, he, people spend a fortune to go to his conferences, his seminars. Uh-huh. And he has a whole, he has an army of volunteers and paid staff and volunteers to work with these thousands of people that go through a single seminar. And one of the complaints was, and I, I forget how he addressed it, but it, it was addressed. It was that whole notion of, you know, people come and they're feeling great and you've got them revved up with the cheerleading and the music and the lights. And then they go home and they're great for about a week and maybe two, you know, then everything's wears off. And then boom, they're back to where they were and no progress is made. Yeah, I, do um, there, there was a, um, I guess you would call her a, 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 a a faith healer, and I went. Um, she was very popular, and I wanted to go and experience what it was like. And she, I went with a friend of mine, and she went through the. I mean, it, it, in retrospect, it's very clear as to what was happening. She went through the clapping and the stamping and the and and the you know swaying and the you know she got everybody and she had mm-hmm. a voice like Dolly Parton, so it was incredible. Oh. And everybody who. And everybody who sang with her sounded glorious, and even those those of us that were tone deaf. And and she she whipped the energy up, and then she did the healing. She brought the people forward, and she channeled the energy into the people, and she touched them, and they went down. And and all all you had to do was to see the first couple people go down, and you knew that if you were going to go up there and get touched, you were going to go down. And my friend did. And when when she came back, you know, she had her her hands folded as though she had communion of some sort. And um, <laughs> after we left, you know, she she had this, it was it was really amazing. She, she said, you know, I am so full of spiritual energy and love that I'm this and I'm that. And, and, um, and then she started to hyperventilate and I ended up in the, in the uh, emergency room with her. And she said, "I don't understand, but suddenly all of the good feeling is gone." And and I, I said, "That that was a fast fix, you know." And but but it was you. She was not in that environment anymore, and she lost the feeling. And and um, it was amazing. It, yeah, and, the, and the hypnotic induction. Yeah. Right. It's it's a hypnotic induction that's going on there in the groups, and you can see it. And that's why you can look at any group on television, 
and you begin to look at what they do, and you begin to look at what they say and how they act and how they behave, and you can begin to understand if this is uh, hypnotic induction is going on here. And if if there is, is it one for your benefit or not? Very often it's not. Not always, but more often than not, you're getting the short end and of the stick. But but a lot of times too, those healings do stick. And part it's not in my in my opinion, it's it's not necessarily that whoever channeled the energy into that person healed them. It's that the belief in the person that got the energy the belief that it would heal them, that they actually healed themselves with that energy. Well, that's what Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. Yeah. The, that yeah, there's a relationship between the, the, sick, the, the healer and the healer, the, the patient, if you want to call it that, or the, the one who's symptomatic. And uh-huh. the, the individual has to have some belief, some, not, not total, complete faith. It's better if they do but they have to be open to the possibility that healing is possible. Right. Now, once they're, once they're open to that possibility, sincere openness, then things can happen. And sometimes it's just a sincere relaxation of I've got nothing to lose. This can only benefit me. Let's give it a try. Uh-huh. I've seen people just uh, really have significant turnarounds because they were relaxed about it. Whereas I've seen people, you know, you can see they're anxious, they're adrenaline-driven, they're I've got to be healed. I've got to be healed, you know, in that kind of framework. And then they go up there, heal me, heal me. Bam, they get, you know, the center of the forehead or whatever they touch, down they go. Oh, and but they're never really healed uh-huh. because there's a certain desperation at work. In fact, the, the person doing it could have no, no power or ability whatsoever. It could be a total scam. But if that person believed enough, they could be open. They'd open their own inner energies. You understand so listen, is, you understand to to so, to so being to be made willing. So you have an agori here. So what is the agori? Agori is it is it, it the person who's who's doing this? Is it the concept of the event itself? Where do you well, where the, is the agori? The, the, the agori of say the the faith of the faith healer will say we'll stick with that. The agori of the faith healer is a complex one. Uh, I have a friend, David Metcalf, who's done a tremendous amount of research on uh, many things, but one of them is uh, spiritual warfare uh, in, within the evangelical movement. And he's done a tremendous amount of great research on that. And there's an interview with him on our, our blog, Fox Hermes, that listeners can listen to. They just click on it and they can listen. And so the egregore is one of the whole culture of spiritual healing. You know, the people going there, we're going to assume, and I'm making a vast assumption here based on just stories I heard as a kid, and, you know, and I, I kind of remember some of the Billy Graham rallies a little bit on TV. You know, a lot of them, uh, you know, if this is taking place in a rural area where there is still some religious belief, okay, a lot of that plays into it. So there's the, the, the belief and the desire and the emotional content. You have the charismatic leader. The, the thing about these uh, evangelical movements or these healing aspects is the charisma, uh, the appeal of the spokesperson. I mean, even if you don't like Billy Graham, fine, but you could listen to some of his old presentations. Ah, uh, wow, yeah. he was really good. He, he was really good orator. I mean, he was really 
something to listen to. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a spectacular. I used to listen to him because he was on the radio in the afternoon when I was driving after work, and it was all by accident. There was a boy. His name escapes me at the moment, but I didn't know it for weeks until after listening that he was. Um, uh, a graduate of one of the premier Bible colleges out in Chicago. He was just a spectacular preacher, you know, and he, the way he would talk about things and explain things to his audience. And he happened also to be an old Marine too. Uh, he was just ah. wonderful, but he didn't have the rhythm. And this is the important. He was a great orator and teacher. He did not use the rhythm of induction that you see in a lot of, fundamentalist or evangelical preachers if you notice they all talk the same way and if you get on here any of the if you hear any of the fundamentalist radio during the day because i've at times i've heard it i thought wow what's going on here and it's a hypnotic induction they talk really fast Uh really intense look at that intensity and that speed that's part of the induction method so that's to pull you in pulls you in talking very quickly very quickly and very intense uh, and also in a bit of vague terms too, but uh, and, and power, power, power. So there's a certain weaponizing of the language. So you have a variety of forces there. And then you have the question of what is the actual spiritual force at the other end? And they're going to tell you it's Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit or God or something. I've got some uh-huh. questions about that myself. But I do, you know, but, but that, that's the question too. What, what is the force that's really happening? And for some of them, it may just be an, an occasional itinerant force, you know, the more sincere ones. I've heard of some uh-huh. very sincere folks who they just go around, they're not terribly well-known, and they do have some success with helping people and healing them. And that force may just come and go. You know, uh-huh. as, as, as the meeting comes, they've got it. When the meeting's not there, it's not there. Because it comes from the people then. So, know, so for... For someone to be a conductor of this kind of energy, there has to be that element of charisma. And Billy Graham, absolutely. Um, the other, the other one was Adolf Hitler. Correct. Any of the great orders, whether you like them or not, is irrelevant. What yeah. you have to do is pay attention to uh, their, their, what it is they're able to do. And you'll notice they all have a certain level of emotion. They have emotional intensity to them. Uh-huh. So whether you're looking at Mussolini, whether you're looking at Adolf Hitler, whether you're looking at Billy Graham, whether you're looking at uh, Bill Clinton, okay, whether you're looking at Ronald Reagan, okay, they were all were extremely good orators. Yes. Ronald Reagan was spectacular. Uh, he was. The Kennedys. You know, one of the most interesting things I, I used when I was teaching public speaking was a video clip of uh, Robert Kennedy uh, driving up to an incredibly irate black mob somewhere in the South during the civil rights crisis. And he gets out, and they know who he is. And he does not attempt to speak down to them, okay? 
Oh, I forget where he went to school. I think it was Harvard or something, right? And he has a New England accent and that typical Kennedy-esque flair and all this stuff. Yeah. And he speaks to this audience using references uh, from his expensive education, okay, which he took advantage of, unlike uh, one of his other brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike Teddy in his gentleman's seat. You know, Robert... Uh So Robert Kennedy is talking to them, and I said, well, I, I had to look that reference up, you know. I mean, this is, this is some – and you could see the audience is enthralled. Uh-huh. They, are, they are totally focused on him. They are listening to him. And even if they don't necessarily understand everything he's saying because of the emotion of the moment, his sincerity, his emotional presence, comes through with such clarity that it calms the situation and they're able to have a, a, a meaningful dialogue about what is necessary there. Uh, I remember yeah. that because I stumbled, I stumbled across it when looking for videos. I thought, wow, this is just a spectacular example of, of the power of the presence of the individual. And, yeah, you know, you Martin heard, Luther King as well. Right, and, and everyone's had that. We had here in this area, we had a, a, a wonderful Orthodox priest. You know, he was uh, revered, okay, uh, locally, not only for his uh, ability at the pulpit, but his, his presence as, as a human being. He was also a Freemason. He was in the OSS during the you know, intelligence services during the Second World War. You know, he was a spectacular human being. And... Um, intellectually uh, top of the line. He went to Brown. He graduated from Brown University. And, um, you know, his his ability to speak on any topic was just, wow. Like, wow, this is great. So everyone in their community has had people like this, just people who could just uh, charm them and chant them with words. And that's where we get the notion of magic, the enchantment Uh of the language, how we charm people. So what is happening here is that it's pulling the mind in, the mind is accepting the ideas, and on some level we can say it's a hypnotic induction, which it is. Okay, it's going on all the time. But then the question is, are there additional spiritual forces or entities at work? That's always the question I'm, I'm having. You know, and uh, that's it. And what are those forces? Are they, are they positive and healthy for us, or are they negative and destructive for us? It's and a, too often in large point. groups, it becomes negative. Yeah. No, it's, do you feel that um, – I totally agree that there is that element of charisma that some people have and some people just don't have. I don't believe it's learned. I think it's, it's either it's there or it's not. And, you know, you, you look at some people and, and, and you just know that there is, a, there is a potential power there if they choose to utilize it. Well, if we, if we use another word other than charisma, which okay. means, you know, kind of a charisma, a power, what we're really saying is these people come and they have incredible self-confidence. So that incredible self-confidence is something which they bring to the stage. And that is something which can be learned. 
Now, I don't know if it can be cultivated to the same degree. I've known people who have very little self-confidence, and they've been able to improve it. Uh, they're not necessarily going to become uh, a great speaker, a great uh, intellectual or uh, inspiration, uh, say like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, he's a uh-huh. spectacular inspirational speaker. He's just great. And I've known several people who've met him, and they've, they've said he's just a, just a great guy. They really said when he is with you, even if it's just for a few minutes, his attention is totally focused on you. So that confidence comes through. That confidence is literally transferred by like a spiritual force, a psychic force. It's transferred to you as an individual for that moment. And you can take that and you can run with it and you can then in- integrate it into yourself and uh, uh, begin to say, yeah, I can do this. And then it grows over time. And that's where coaches and teachers come in to help us cultivate that. And why when we just have that, single shot of it at a seminar and then it wears off, we, we don't really understand what's happening. We need to go back and get more. Yeah, so that these things can be encouraged. We can help people get self-confidence. We can't do it for them. If, if they're not willing to take on the task, uh, you can't do it for them. So, so, but some people have a so great deal of it, and, and, and you see them. They become natural leaders. Good leaders or bad oh, leaders yeah. are irrelevant. They become natural leaders. So, so there is an energy out there that that thought can connect to, and in connecting to that thought, and 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 with that thought, you have access to that energy, and with that energy, an egregore is born. In a way, it can be, or just tapped into an existing one. You know, if someone wants to be very wealthy, uh, they're, tapping, they're tapping into essentially the energies, we'll say, of Jupiter, you know, expansion and wealth. Uh, but how that relates to them particularly or specifically in their individual circumstance uh, may involve other subsidiary egregores, if you will. Uh, they may do it through, uh, um, they may do it through like a corporation or a job or employment, or they may do it through some sudden fame or something uh, through a career. So we don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but they're going to be tapping into to other sources uh, potentially for that. But remember, an egregore is primarily concerned, though, with collections, collectives, group things. So to give an example, if someone achieves a certain level of acumen in um, an area and they're very successful in it, um, we're, we're probably going to see more like, as I said, like what is the old IBM, you know, IBM, you know, what is the typical IBM man? Or what is the typical, you know, the, the, the great man in the gray flannel suit as they said in the 50s? You know, what is the typical soldier like? What is the typical, uh, you know, a teacher like? All of those things have, 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 a, have a play here. So those egregores, you know, they, they, they're very subtle. There's a very shifting uh, element to them. The question is, is it conforming? How does the person then conform to that archetype? That's a good way to think of it. How do they conform to the notions of what it means to be that, that person or that successful person? Well, you, you, you were talking at, at one point in the book about a, a, an Eastern religion where, where I, was it Buddhism? 
um, where where people were literally trained to to become the channel for that energy of an egregore. Well, that happens in all religions, uh, but in Tibetan Buddhism in particular, in the various tantric practices of India, China, and elsewhere, uh, there is a training to, to embody the energies of a particular force or quality. But it's also mentioned that those forces or qualities already exist within each of us anyhow. So what we're doing is we're, the question is, are we bringing out what is already naturally to us there, or are we bringing something in from the outside, or is it a combination of both? You see, so it can get, yeah, it's tricky. It depends on who do you ask, depends on kind of the kind of answer that you're going to get. But that's an important point because each of us has all of these great potential qualities within us, and these spiritual forces help to bring them out. But as they bring out, what do they connect to? They connect to something bigger maybe, and there, there becomes a feedback loop. There becomes a relationship. Yeah, and and so so what I what I'm – Looking at here is so so every individual um, as as a spirit and and understanding that your physical body is not the spirit we're talking an energetic within us has the capacity to become a channel for energy of a higher degree of a you know to to link to an understanding or concepts that are beyond the physical. Yeah, we, we each have the capacity to uh, understand something beyond our, our present time space, at least in theory each of us does. I mean, I, I can't say that is always for certain because I don't know what the capacities are of everyone. We have an unfortunate habit of thinking that everyone is just like us. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, that that's the problem, and they're not, okay? And I think as we as this interview is – being uh, are are we live or are we being recorded? I, I don't remember, but uh, oh. you know, is this okay? Is this as this interview is happening? I mean, currently right now, some pretty horrible events are happening in, in cities around the country. You know, some wonderful events, and also simultaneously a few blocks from them, some terrible events. So we're we're not all the same. Given given the same opportunity, some people have chosen to go out and and stand for what they believe to be right in terms of trying to make the world a better place and, you know, through their vision of, of uh, protesting and, and, and seeking, you know, equal treatment under the law. And others are saying, you know, <laughs> I think I'm going to go rip off the Walmart. <laughs> yeah, well, here, this is a really good example of group energy creating a um, – I mean, the, the group energy, the, the energy of, of um, the thousands of people who are bound together because of outrage of some sort, um, and, and they, they – so, so did they create an egregore? Yes, very much so. But also there may have been existing egregores that they tapped into. That's the other thing. It's complex. I mean, you, you know, when you throw a party, a lot of people come. Mm-hmm. That's just the way to look at it. When you throw, when you throw an open air party, a lot of people come. Okay, so and, so are there? 
are there then people who have an understanding of egregores and how you can you can take a group and create a power that um that are uh that is stronger than you know the you know it's sort of like you create a group that is that is stronger than the individuals within it type stuff right that's, yes that's correct well people of course know how to do that the people were hired to do that yeah they've earned their money this last week for sure um yeah. so so i think what what i'm what i'm looking for is the energy is always there, is always out there, and it's a matter of channeling it into a purpose or a form. Yes, and energy is always seeking some kind of form of expression. That's the nature of creation, if you want to call it uh-huh. that. It's always seeking some kind of uh, some kind of experience, some kind of uh, expression. And so is our and awareness. Is- our awareness. Our awareness grows through experience and expression. Just not necessarily what you may think is a good experience or an expression. I mean, that's one of the problems I have to say. What people don't grasp is that, you know, when they begin to go out on the spiritual path, it's all very nice, and they think everything is wonderful and bright and beautiful, and it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. But you know, the human experience is, is in many ways, a tragic one. You know, we and, and we we learn through some. We learn only through often our mistakes. And how isn't that way when you started painting? Oh, we yeah. learn through our errors. We learn through our errors. But it's the same way through every area of our human life. We, we stumble and we fall. We stumble and we fall. So those, uh, you know, when, when we're, we're expecting people to kind of suddenly go from, you know, zero to 60 or at least 30, you know, and, and instantly seek enlightenment or find enlightenment because we think it's possible. Or because we want it to happen. So how, how many eons of lifetimes did it take, if you believe in that, if you believe in reincarnation, how many eons of lifetimes did it take us to get here? And if you don't True. believe in reincarnation, yeah, and then if you don't believe in reincarnation, then, well, you just happen to be lucky and, and be born in the right place <laughs> at the right time with the right family. So you know, either, either way, uh, the notion of what we consider to be right and wrong is really based on some very narrow notions of what constitutes spirituality. So, does so the, we don't. Look, does the egregore that is created depend upon the belief system of those that create it? Yes, it reflects it and it reinforces it, and then it can then it can even to some degree survive after it, you know, because there's so much energy. I, Think it, of it as. Yeah, give give an example of an egregore that has survived beyond its whatever. Egypt, ancient Egypt is a spectacular one. I mean, ancient Egypt hasn't existed in what? I don't know. uh, Let's see, uh, 1,600 years? Uh Let's go back to, you know, I'm thinking thinking 480, you know, hasn't really existed and, and then Pharaonic Egypt is even older than that. What we think of as Egypt is Pharaonic. That that goes back even further, the, the, the dynastic Egypt. So, and yet it's existed. I mean, it still fascinates us. 
it over oh, yeah. it, it you know overwhelms us um and that's a positive one we use them as a positive one um and there are other egregores that exist in their own way or there are fascinations um but I, I like that one the most because people can immediately identify with it and grasp it. So, so then, what once were living egregores? Now I can't even say egregores. Yeah, which one? Um, mm-hmm. So, so once vibrant and alive egregores have, because they have not been continuously fueled and practiced, become myth and fable. Over time, to some degree, yeah. I mean, a lot of them were myth and fable to begin with, but uh, they were living myth and fable. Now, now what you're <laughs> saying is they become, you know, they become a different kind of myth and fable. I mean, they become uh-huh. a fascination. I mean, during the Renaissance, the Renaissance is in many ways a fascination, not only with uh, Greco-Roman uh, ideas, but also with Egyptian ideas. It was the Corpus Hermeticum that, that generated the the Renaissance as we know it, you know, uh, as we understand it. So uh, that being said, there is this obsession with, you know, e- uh, Egyptian things for a period of time, and that comes and goes. There's a, an Egyptian obsession in the, the late 18th century and again in the late 19th century. So these energies or these ideas, they, just, they, they grab a hold of our imagination. As soon as they grab a hold of the imagination, they grab a hold of our emotions. It's no different than advertising. But... Yeah with the Gregor that we're talking about, the question is, is there a psychic force behind it? Is there an intelligence? Can that god or goddess help me in some way? Can I develop a relationship with it that helps me to expand my awareness? Whereas with an advertising, it's just to grab your imagination to get you to buy a car or drink some Coke or, you know, vote for a candidate or something Uh, like that. I've I've often wondered, and everybody's definition is different. We've both put out there psychic energy, and and everybody has it. It isn't just psychics that have psychic energy. Everybody has it. Um, some 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 are able to utilize it and focus it. But where does that come from? Oh, that's a huge question. I mean, that's a metaphysical question. It comes from somewhere within us. You know, part of it is physical. Uh, there's a physical aspect of the psychic energy. And you see that very detailed in a lot of the, the tantric texts and some of the alchemical texts. That's why, you know, so much is uh, geared towards good health, having good health and, 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 and vitality and strength, because that's what it is. In fact, the charisma and vitality go hand in hand. Uh, however, there's, it's not simply a matter of physical vitality. That's part of it. That can do a go a long way. There has to be uh, that connection to something other. And that resides within what we think of as or what terms we call the subconscious. And the subconscious is always functioning. It's very simple. The subconscious for each of us is just a goal-seeking mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you, you give it a goal, and off it goes. And it's very happy doing that <laughs> until the goal is achieved. problem is most people give themselves contradictory goals, and that's why they don't achieve much, except frustration. 
you know, whereas uh, we'll say for an example, an egregore is kind of like a giant subconscious with a single goal, therefore it can achieve a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So so actually, it, it sounds like the formation of egregores is always a very positive thing. I wouldn't say it always is. At least for the people for the people doing it, they think it's a positive thing. Um, yeah. You know, for the people who may experience it, it you know it may not be so positive. I mean, they believe oh, yeah. it is. I think that that's very important to understand. Yeah, I mean, communism's killed. I think it's like eighty-five million people, uh, and and it, it started as a utopian dream. Yes. I mean, it was yeah. So we have to kind of keep that in mind. In the beginning, no matter what we do, we always believe what we're doing is positive, regardless of other whether you know what other people may feel about it or, or believe about it. Um, so it's just so positive or negative. I think is kind of irrelevant. It's it's goal seeking. Egregores are goal seeking. Otherwise, why have them? There's no purpose to it unless you're going to. There's a, there's a it's a means to an end. An egregore is a a, mean, a social control mechanism with a means to an end. So Genghis Khan, <laughs> in his domination of whatever, you know, he created an egregore of of um, domination of of taking over the world as, as he knew it. Yeah, I think there's a what he said. He's he's uh, I, how did he he said he he called himself God's vengeance. You know. Yeah. And and that's his view that I, if if uh, you had done if I wasn't God's vengeance I wouldn't be here. Uh, of course he had a, quite the crew of uh, magicians in his traveling camp. There was a lot of shamans and magicians and astrologers and folks of that that he carried with him. So he was deeply rooted in this whole notion of of what is the egregore, you know, the psychic force. Uh, you know, tapping into the sense of being greater, that destiny. And that's where it motivates people then feeling like they have a sense of destiny about them. Well, Hitler Hitler had that. Um, Right. So so we, and yet, you know, we all, to to bring it back back home to a personal level for all of us today, um, in our lives, we have beliefs, and here's where I get to, you know, is it is it a positive or negative energy or egregore? Um, it, it felt like most of them, most, not all, started out with, a, you know, a good purpose, direction, whatever, and and yet somewhere along the line, it 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 can become destructive. I think you have to look at it as a living being. It's a living being that has a birth, a growth cycle, a maturity, and a decline. So when we look at it in those terms, uh, in the period of decline, it no longer functions as it originally did. It doesn't function to the same degree as it did in its height or in its birth cycle, its growth cycle. Um, Now, there are ways of combining combining there are ways of combining energies in a way that we would say are definitively malicious or negative you know for example you use the notion of the uh, the organized crime earlier uh, mm-hmm. be, people would be hard people would be hard pressed to find something positive about organized crime yet 
there must be for the people involved. Well, there's profit, there's comfort, there's riches. I mean, it's it's. Um, and there's a sense of a sense of family. power, a sense of res- a sense of respect. Everyone knows their their place and their responsibilities. Right. So that's what any group does. It brings that sense of this is my identity. This is who I am and what I do. And to get ahead in this organization, this is what is expected of me. Whether that be the church, whether that be the organized crime, whether that be a corporation that you're in, whether it be government work, all of it has, that's what it does. It has that structure and conduit for achievement of a goal. That's why I say all agrigores are goal oriented. You know, they have a purpose. So you can outgrow an egregore. Is it hard to separate from one? Oh, it's painful. It's terribly difficult because what happens is it becomes a codependent relationship. And think of it as how difficult it can be to separate from a relationship with a person that you've been with for a few years. Just a few years. Yeah. Think of how difficult it can be to separate from uh, you know, maybe you belong to a church or a a group or a spiritual study group, and you were in there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and then, you know, it went south for some reason. And you lose all your friends, all of your connections. Everything you've poured into it for all that time is gone. Well, yeah, that's what cults, to, you know, are as, as a, you know. You, you exactly. join a cult to, to have a sense of family protection and, and everything, and then suddenly you realize that, it doesn't serve your purposes anymore, and yet you're trapped. That's right, right. Because you know all these people; they're your friends. You know, maybe you're wrong. It can't be that bad. But it can be even simpler. I, I was talking to a teacher uh, who is part of uh, um, local uh, county women's Democratic Party, and uh, I was talking to her about independent candidates, and and just you know, here she is, she's a teacher, master's degree. She's supposed to be smart. She couldn't even conceive of the idea of voting for someone who was outside of her party. Couldn't even conceive of it. Wow. I said, well, then you don't even think because you just go in and vote straight party ticket. I mean, there's no thought involved in that. Because you just, we're right. This is the party. We're right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know people like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I I said, okay, I can understand that as a general guideline. I get that as a general guideline. That's your orientation or kind of group. But I said, there's there's some you know good candidates out there on the local level that aren't necessarily uh, going to always be coming through your your party, particularly in our area where it's it's essentially an organized crime entity too. I said, so you know, I, I told her that. So I said, so um, you know, how do you how do you? And that's again. Good intentions are what are told to the people, but what goes on inside is something terrible, is something worse. And you see that a lot. I mean, look what happened with the Catholic Church. Again, here I am in Pennsylvania. I, I met some of these people who were involved in that, uh, who were mentioned in that, uh, the Attorney General's report on, on uh, child abuse within the Catholic Church. Hmm. Okay, I mean... Yeah, that's it's frightening. No one, no one could. But what happened? The egregore of the church was stronger than the egregore of Christ, if you will. Mm. 
the body of Christ. The egregore of maintaining the corporation at all costs. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand the difference, the separation out? That was stronger than the notion of our obligation to Jesus Christ. And they may have thought that they... And I guarantee you, great, and I I guarantee you those bishops and those monsignors, they thought they were doing God's work on some level. On some level, they were rationalizing it to themselves. This is, you know, we're protecting the church. Therefore, you know, okay, yeah. The real church doesn't need your protection. You're protecting the corporate entity. Yeah. It was a terrible thing that they did. Yeah, and there is a big difference between the corporate entity and the and the initial foundational creation of a belief system. Right, or, or even as we would say right now, the living vital, bo- the mystical body of Christ, the living body of the church uh-huh. is the body of Christ. And uh, that's, that's all I can say about that. That is the true egregore to tap into. And, of course, they wouldn't use that word. They would say it's not an egregore, but for our discussions we can use that. Um, that's it, and, and that entity swayed so far from that. So there's an example of, and, and people weren't told, they were lied to. People's uh, donations to go to good causes were then filtered off for paying for lawyers and, and, and settlements. Very horrifying. Right, and that has something, you know, I just use that as an extreme example. I mean, it just went bad, you know. Yeah, I you. Um, whenever I do an interview, I send a, a guest form out, and, and people put questions on it that might be interesting to talk about. And you put one on here that I didn't expect, and that that I have to ask you: and is is there a relationship between egregores and uh, UFOs, the UFO phenomena? Uh, there's a strong one. In fact, uh, Jacques Vallée who your listeners uh-huh. should be aware of, and if they're not, to, to please go out and, and read some of his material. Uh, Absolutely. He pointed, yeah, he pointed out that UFOs are really a social control mechanism. There's something going on with the UFO phenomena that uh, the things just don't add up. And he's always been uh, a strong advocate of the non-physical notion of UFOs. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have an impact on the physical environment. He did tremendous research, tremendous field research. He knows that these things have an impact on the physical environment. But as a, um, I believe his degree is in astrophysics. I believe that's what it is. He understands that um, these things don't act in accordance with what we have as the known laws of physics. And what most people don't understand is that, you know, traveling through space is, uh, it's not easy. It's not simple. Space is hostile. And it's a hostile environment. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's the, and, and when we say that, it's the radiation alone, the space radiation alone. I have friends who work on satellites, and, and they say, Mark, you know, Radiation is we, we we shield this stuff. I mean, you'd be amazed how much shielding goes into a satellite because just the space radiation. As you're traveling through space at speeds that something the size of a a, a grain of sand will, will puncture a hole in your hole. 
you know, it's, it's, it is not a simple matter, you know, going to Mars. It's not a simple <laughs> matter at all, let alone, let alone going beyond uh, the solar system. He said getting through, you know, that's another story altogether. So when we look at UFOs, unidentified flying objects, and we're talking about something that we really don't know what it is. You know, it's not just a new military aircraft. It's not just something like, oh, I saw a UFO. Well, you know, I see them all the time. It doesn't mean they're from outer space or that they're psychic phenomena. It just means I don't know what it is. You know, someone in air traffic control tower probably knows what it is, but I don't. Okay? So we, the, the word itself gets abused. But there's, you know, notions of the idea. And I think uh, Jean Dubuis, the French alchemist, I remember he used to say that, what you have, and, and this valet mentioned the same thing, that there were efforts to get people to become so focused on the UFO phenomena as to potentially materialize one. You know, ah. bring the thought form into reality. So, following that thread, mm-hmm. you could almost say that, that UFOs were a um, an invention of human consciousness and may not even exist beyond this planet. I think some of them. I think there's uh, sufficient indications that there's something else going on there too and that there's a gateway uh, to some aspects of the invisible is taking place that uh, some of it may be in our best interest and some of it not, that it's very mixed. Yeah, but at this point, it's hard to tell, you know. Yeah, it is because there's a tremendous amount of literature on on UFO encounters that go bad. Uh Uh-huh. And in the large part, the UFO community, which has its own egregore, its own notion of what is acceptable, what is acceptable, and what is not, uh, don't want to hear about the encounters that go bad. Just as they don't want to hear about the possibility of the psychic realm as an aspect of this. Yet, yet both uh, UFOs, computer development, psychic research is all going on in the same offices or nearby offices, I should say, at Stanford uh-huh. Research Institute in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s and 80s. So these folks all knew each other. You know, D- David Metcalf and I talk about that in our, in our interview, in our conversation that we have on, on Vox Hermes. Yeah, yeah it, it, um, it does beg the question um, my own personal belief at this point in time is that you know um, I'm not sure I believe that, that there are people that have been traveling, traveling in tin cans or, the, or whatever is comparable throughout the universe I basically am more comfortable with um, portals for other dimensions than I am you know getting in a tin can and, and you know sleeping for 20 years or whatever so you know my concept of UFO is, have, has changed certainly over time I've seen them but um, exactly what they are still remains a mystery and, and I personally believe and it's only my own personal belief and I, I, I put out there when I start talking about my own philosophies, this is just mine for today. It may change tomorrow. But 
at this moment in time, it feels like the fear of humanity has created monsters out there, so we don't want to have any contact with something that might come from another realm. Well, you know, the, the human beings often go through the their lives thinking that they're alone in the universe, and religions that many of them adhere to don't have a, a place for it, uh, uh, for the invisible. As much as they talk yeah. about the invisible, they don't really have a construct for it. And uh, I like to give uh, a lot of folks a hard time about that, quite jokingly and quite seriously at the same time. You know, so even when people think of a metaphysical realm, they tend to think only in terms of human beings. Yeah. You know, there's, there's human beings and maybe some angels, whatever that is, and and you know, Uncle Fred and 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 Dead Aunt Karen and whatever. <laughs> yeah, but oh, and maybe the Rainbow Bridge with my dogs because my dogs have to be there. Oh yes, absolutely. So, yeah, but this notion of what what constitutes other beings, there's no real sense of, well, what are saints? You know, what are archangels? What are angels? What are they for real? What are demons for real? What are ghosts for real? What are the different classes and compositions of these things? Uh, what are enlightened beings? What are gods, so, demigods? Where do they where do they fit into this whole spectrum of possibility? And, and this is so, where you find no. metaphysical systems. Yeah, so jumping sorry, off ahead. from that, then the biggest egregore going is God. Uh, one could say that. I think the only difference being is that uh, uh, if so, it's a self-created one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but somebody yeah, had to create. But but somebody had to create. The thought had to be put out there. Well, well in the beginning, it was a self-created thought. In the beginning was the word, right? In, in principe ad verbum, right? And, and the word went forth. So, um, yeah, that's a funny one. Yeah, the, yeah uh, that's that's the biggest egregore there is. Um, and all religions are based upon trying to grasp an aspect of that conception of what is deity, what is being. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even have to be a religion, though. It can be just a spiritual belief. There has to be something more out there. I don't know what to call it. Uh, let's call it God. Um, right. And, 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 and maybe, so, you hit a, maybe you hit again upon the right word, out there. Uh, yeah. Egregores tend to be not only self-identifying, I identify with, as we said earlier, uh, but also externally directed. Because when you take a meditative path, uh, it's internally directed. Uh-huh. So even though you might have, even though you might be having egregores, like in various tantric systems of India or China or, or Tibet, it's still internally directed. There are means to an end, and you know what that means is and what that end is, and that end is your own enlightenment, your own awakening. So they're viewed more as something temporary, not as a uh, a permanent relationship whereas and, and again let me do something that's simple here it's easy not not to you know be picking on anyone but when you look at the evangelical church or the catholic church the people involved in that who are true and sincere believers 
they can't really conceive of anything outside that. So in their mind, the, the really life after death is somehow going to be involving that entity. <laughs> and if you ever look at the cat, you know what I'm talking about. And if you look at the old Catholic iconography, uh, yeah. you know, it very much reinforces that notion. Because there's the saints in heaven, you know, and there's the and sinners there's a in hell. And think, yeah, and there's a celestial yeah. rest home we'll all be in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm thinking of some particular pictures I, I came across. Uh, in a place I worked that were from the twenties, you know, they were, you know, color prints for basically they were designed for a, a modestly literate practice, you know, laity. Well, yeah. I this just, is it. Um, this is your yeah, this is fascinating because, um, you know, I, I started out thinking about, you know, little egregores that I had created for myself, but then you get to the place where what is humanity created for us that is is controlling us if we allow it to. Right, and, and again, we create thought forms. We don't, rarely do we as individuals actually create egregores. We usually create thought forms, but those thought forms are like soap bubbles, and they reach out and they merge with other soap bubbles. And that's when we're connecting to another thought form. And when we're uh-huh. collecting collectively to a thought form, that's when we're connecting to another egregore. It's that collective aspect. So, you know, I may want to learn uh, fly fishing. You know, and I, I go out and I meet other people who are involved in fly fishing and I enjoy the fly fishing club and everything is great. But then someone comes in and decides... You know, this really isn't enough. I mean, the fly fishing is great, but we should teach needlepoint as well. <laughs> and, and you know, then they start going at cross purposes, or they mission creep, as I said earlier. And then what happens? Uh, you know, there's conflict or confusion, and maybe it's no longer the fly fishing club; it's the needlepoint club. But we see that in religious groups and spiritual groups all the time, and that's what I want the listeners to pay attention to, and their political groups as well. And you see that even in businesses. People always know business overreach. You know, you try to do too much. You you go beyond what is your core, you know, your core product or your core service. And in spiritual dimensions, in, in religious dimensions, that can be very dangerous and very, very problematic because ultimately your spiritual practice should be about your awakening, your self-awareness, your self-actualization. Your self-realization and self-actualization. Realization would be the awareness, the aha moment, and then the actualization would be what we do with that, bringing that into fullness into your, into your daily life. Um, you, 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 spoke, you, you spoke in the book about, you know, as above, so below. So mm-hmm. the, the energy, the thought form, the creation of an egregore takes place on what I call the etheric plane, which is not on the physical plane, but it is above the physical plane and in, in a metaphysical, I guess. I, I don't know if you – I don't look upon it as like atmosphere gets thinner and thinner and then there's something above that. It's, it's just another plane. And you mentioned that, that, that egregores, you know, that if there was a war here, there would be a war in the other plane too where the egregore kind of – 
had its source of, of, of energy. Energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that that invisible war takes place first. Because it's a mental construct. It's a mental force. Okay. And you, and you have to think of it this way. Oh, you have an idea. The idea is, I got to cut the grass. I got to cut the grass. I got to cut the grass. And you put it off and you put it off and the idea is stewing and stewing and stewing. So suddenly you look out in the grass and oh, I just got to cut that grass already. But, you know, it's been a week or two maybe before you finally got around to doing it, and there's a lot of energy and emotion going into it. Like you're cleaning a house or cleaning a room. A lot of energy often goes into it before you actually move and, and, and get it done. Okay. So when you have conflict between egregores, between nations, between countries, between groups of people, that energy of conflict is building psychically for a period of time. And that's why people are able to perceive it. That's why we have the ability to uh, clairvoyantly or psychically perceive something before it happens. Because the energy is in motion. If the energy weren't in motion, there wouldn't be anything to see. It does change one's opinion of the power that one has. Um with energy, with thought. I mean, thought is energy. So that, so that, can one create an egg? Well, oh, let me ask you. Um, what about, um, for instance, you know, witches, voodoo, whatever? Now, are they creating egregores um, that that they can can egregores actually commit? Violence against someone else? Well, yes. I mean, these are living entities, but you know, there has to be certain relationships, certain capacity. Remember, I mean, there has to be a reason for it. There has to be some kind of karmic connection, if you will. Okay. You know, there has to be. Yeah, things things don't happen without the the energy. Karma is think of it as energy of a specific frequency. You know, you've got all this karma. What do we mean by karma? You've got all this energy, mm-hmm. this habituated patterns, okay, uh, that, you've got to, that you've got to clean out. You've got to get these energetic patterns, if you will. Some of them are really good for you. Some of them aren't good for you. Some of them were good for you at one time, but they're not anymore. So unless there's a capacity to hook into those patterns, it doesn't work. It's like... Um, You know, a gift, if, if you don't open up your hands and take it, it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Okay. okay. Now, someone can put it on the table, but you, know, you walk away, it's just there. There's no connection. So if if there's energies flying around from different egregores, if, if yours doesn't have a relationship to it, and who knows, maybe something, you, you never know, you could get warned about something and it can help you. Uh-huh. That's a tricky. It's a tricky question when you get into this notion of psychic warfare like that. That's that's a tricky domain. Yeah, but but again, it all it all really comes down to belief. If you believe in something, you you can you can make it happen. 
to, yes, to a, the to belief a degree. Is that, right. I, so I the mean, belief is the belief is important for you as a as a practitioner. Uh, the belief is not, you know, belief has a dual role even for the non-believer. For example, you're in a family, you're in a country. Uh, there's a you will be affected by the, the, the we'll call it the energetic patterns or karma of that particular egregore, that particular collective group. Uh-huh. To what degree, though? To what degree? It all depends. I know people who said, you know, if it wasn't for the news, they wouldn't even know there was, a, you know, a pandemic. Their, their lives didn't change where they're at. Well, not too many people can say that, but I've had, I know some who can. You know, it, it depends yeah. on, on, you know, where you're at and what you're doing, how, how deeply you're affected by any action. I knew a young man who uh, he tried desperately, you know, to join the military. It was funny. It was two of them. I was listening to the two of them talk. We were laughing. Everyone was laughing so hard. One guy goes, he was drafted. And then he's laughing as he's telling the story. He's drafted, and he goes off to boot camp. He's in the Army. And he said, I just hated He hated the Army, right? Because, you know, this is the end of the Vietnam War, right? He's drafted. He doesn't want to go. And uh, he's very, he's very funny fellow. I said, so what do you do? He goes, well, I, just, I just didn't go to work. I just refused to work. You know, I don't want to do this. I'd leave. I'd go AWOL all the time. Because it got to the point where the FBI was waiting at, for me at my house to come pick me up. I just didn't, you know, and they finally just discharged me. They said, you know, it's done. We're done with this. And the other guy, he volunteered for everything. He was constantly volunteering, constantly trying to, to go over to Vietnam. You know, it wouldn't happen. It just, and he's like, he couldn't do it. It wouldn't happen. He gets sent here, wow. he gets sent there, nothing. Wouldn't never happen. So it wasn't, you know, what we want to put it that way, that, that energetic connection wasn't there for it to happen. Um, I heard a number, yeah. a number of years ago, and, and I think probably the better term is decades ago, probably this is back in the 1800s. <clears throat> um, no, it was, well, it, it, there was a religious group who were sure the end was coming. <laughs> and their their minister, you know, yeah. told them, you know, sell everything. We're we're going. You know, the spaceship's coming. Uh, that's heaven's group. But um, but but and they did, and they waited, and they waited, and the end didn't come. And then the minister said, "Oops, I got it wrong. You know, it's it's yeah. three years from now." And I think that that that, that particular minister had. I know he had at least two times he was wrong. I do believe there was a third time. So that was a group of people that truly believed something and in something and in someone, and it didn't happen. So the connection was not there. Well, it's, that, you know, the idea of, you know, the rapture is a kind of a tough one, but that story is a very famous one, and I, I was trying to think of the name of the minister involved, but right. I mean, think about this. You're involved with a group. The guy's told you Jesus is coming. The end of the world's coming. It doesn't happen. And you stick around for the second time, and it doesn't happen. And some of you have stuck around for the third time, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what we call irrational belief. I mean, there's no amount of belief that's going to make that happen. I mean, think about what we're talking about, the end of the world or the rapture or the second coming. I mean, think what that theoretically would involve in terms of, you know, their belief system. 
know, they can't yeah. believe that. They can't believe that into existence. There's not enough of them. Now, okay. There are a lot of pe- there are a lot of people who believe that is going to happen, and they spend a lot of energy trying to bring it into existence. But you know, there's a lot of other people around the world who have no idea what these beliefs are. They've never heard of them. They don't yeah. know what they are. No, you know, ask somebody in the Amazon if he's heard of it. You know, they don't know what you're talking about. Who cares? Now, they've got bigger things on their mind, like you know, feeding their kids or staying alive. So, yeah. you know, the, the, this notion of uh, you know how do beliefs affect history and the direction of history is a, a significant and important one. However, uh, I think it takes place on a different. in a different level than what we often think with, you know, this guy thinking, well, here, the end of the world's coming and his group sticks around. No. You don't get too many, yeah. you know, you, you don't get too many chances up at the plate with with, a, with something like that. And he, he got, you know, three strikes and he was out. Yeah. <laughs> now, does that energy go somewhere? Retired. Yeah. Well, then the question okay. is, does that energy go somewhere? Does that energy survive and another group pick it up? Might be. That's a strong possibility. And another group picks it up because it still doesn't happen. And another group picks it up because it doesn't just initially dissipate. And, and the notion of apocalypticism has always been extremely appealing for people who are dissatisfied about physical life in their, in their environment and want something better. Oh, there are, there are those that, that truly believe Armageddon is about to happen. So, as ha- as they have forever. I mean, the, yeah. the early Christians, <laughs> the early Christians believe that Jesus's return was imminent. Mhm. And then it didn't happen. Well, yeah. Well, and look at look at the Jews. They believed a Messiah was coming, and one came. And, and they would him. say no. Uh, oh, the yeah. Romans killed him. But they would say they right. would say no. You know, it didn't happen. Uh, so. We we have these perceptions. The role of perception is extremely important. But more importantly, in terms of the egregore, is uh, what is it that I identify with? What are how are these things impacting me on my daily life? Am I getting out of this experience what I was promised? And if not, well, I, how do I get out of it? Right. How do I leave it? And I always say to folks, you know, if you're unhappy with your spiritual group, your well, political group is a little easier, but Something's really pulling at you. You're, you know, even with just some general spiritual beliefs or philosophical beliefs, take all the stuff associated with it, put it in a couple of boxes, and put it in your closet. Take the pictures down, put the crystals away, everything, round it all up, put it in some boxes, put it in your closet, and leave it there for a month, maybe two, maybe three, and then notice the feelings that arise. And notice what you do with your time. Notice where your mind goes. That you feel a bit lighter. There's going to be tension and anxiety at first. But then you notice there's kind of a freedom of time because you're not constantly going back to that, those notions or ideas of that group or that belief system. Mm-hmm. And then okay, if you so- like it, if you want to stay with it, bring it out of the boxes and, and put it back. If you don't, then, you know, drop it off at Goodwill or Salvation Army or something. Or give it to friends. All right. So 
so let me let me then ask you. Sometimes people feel drawn to a concept, an idea, or a philosophy. I mean, really drawn to it. Now, are sure. they being magnetically drawn to an egregore, or are they, you know, is 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 that something that is is it a magnet magnetism or is is it is it going to a new philosophy that is what they're doing? Well, who knows? I mean, uh, let's just say uh, uh, I've jokingly said to many men over the years of all of all ages, uh, anyone who's seen a photograph of her is magnetically drawn to Sophia Loren. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> is that is that moving to a new philosophy? <laughs> it could be a new perception well, yeah, of reality. <laughs> a new, so yeah, or anything like that. There's again, it's what we call karma, cause and effect. Okay. What is the energy? What are the energetic? What are the energetic habituations, the patterns within us? Is what we're talking about. And then, how do they get drawn to a particular situation or group in order to be fulfilled? And in that fulfillment. It may not necessarily be something that we like in the way like I like chocolate ice cream, but it's to bring out of us a certain self-awareness, okay? So I may go into a group, have some great experiences, then they go south, and I still, what do I walk away with? I walk away with the learning of, okay, those are great times, and I really enjoyed that. Okay, uh-huh. why did it go south? Okay, well, that was that went south there, and I didn't enjoy that. But you know what? I learned something from it. I learned how to manage that situation. I learned how to reevaluate my expectations on people, places, and things, you know, that kind of stuff. So just think of it that way. The energetic patterns in us, the habits, if you will, just as they draw us to chocolate ice cream at the counter rather than, you know, a, a, what is it, maybe a caramel ice cream, okay, or mint chocolate chip. Just as we might mm-hmm. habitually order the same, uh, the same dinner uh, item at, at a restaurant, off a menu, rather than uh, something new, they also draw us into certain situations. The advantage is with people and the dynamic interaction of people, places, and things, we can begin to explore new possibilities, whether we like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important too. It is. It is. A journey of of um, self awareness and and understanding what makes you tick, among other things, so that well, that's rather than it can be. I, so, so so rather than being the victim, it becomes a teaching situation and a good way to walk away from an egregore that is not healthy for you anymore, whether it's an eating pattern or, um, you know, uh, uh, something that is, that is constricting your own inner growth. Um, it, it, but, but, again, also, as you said, it can be a very painful experience to pull away from an egregore. egregore. Yeah, it is, but it's okay because we're going to do it anyhow as we go through life. We're going to pull through different ones. Yeah, I think what we have to understand is that human beings, their subconscious is a goal-seeking mechanism, so we're creatures of habit. You know, if we had to actually think about tying our shoelaces every time we tied them, it would take us a long time to get anything done. 
So we are creatures of habit. We get in habituated ways, and that means an unconscious way of doing things. Uh, spirituality is about consciousness, about becoming aware of consciousness and becoming about aware of what's inside of our unconscious. And I had a friend, and you know, we were going back and forth on this, and we were in a restaurant, and we were waiting for the waitress to come over. And he just wouldn't believe that people are really creatures of habit. He said, are they really? Do you really think? I said, listen, hold on a second. Waitress comes over. She's going to take our order. And I said, excuse me, my friend and I are having a discussion here. I'm just going to ask you one question. Out of all the people that you see every morning here as customers, how many of them order the same thing every day? And the number was, the number was astounding. She said, I don't even have to take the order. I just put it in when I see them walk in the door. Uh-huh. And it was, some, it was somewhere around 80%. I can believe that. See, now, yeah. And you see, now his habit was to believe that people aren't creatures of habit. He, he, his <laughs> habit, yes. he just didn't want to believe it, you see. He had convinced himself that that was the case. So, so you know, there, there is free will, but we don't always choose to take it? Well, we have a certain amount of freedom no matter what we do, but the, we can acquire more freedom through uh, better actions. They're more judicious actions. And conscious yeah. actions give us freedom. You know, I, I just wrote a, a, an essay on, on, on uh, you know, dealing with uh, extreme poverty and violence in prisons. And I said, one of the things that's fascinating is that uh, people who are, are poor, extremely poor, uh, tend to make a lot of bad decisions over and over again. And the problem is with that is that the decisions compound themselves. They get worse. And everything becomes a crisis. And breaking that habit pattern of making crisis decisions, snap decisions, impulsive decisions, uh, is a whole new process of learning and perceiving of yourself. So you people can get trapped. Again, then they begin to identify with, oh, woe is me. It's just bad luck, all these things. And regardless of the situation that they're in, it becomes almost impossible to overcome it. It becomes a downward spiral. Whereas uh, if we move our direction elsewhere into identifying, well, what can I control right here and now, not anywhere else, right now, what is within my control? And you start where you're at each time, you will acquire more freedom. Now, it may not make you Bill Gates, but it will allow you in your life, no matter where you are, to acquire more freedom, to focus on what it is you can control. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's unfortunate that that human beings usually want immediate gratification, and when you have to work at something, sometimes we choose not to. Hmm. Yeah, that's an, an action set consequences, and that's what happens. But happily, in, at least in my belief system, if you don't get it right this lifetime, you can always come back and do it again. Well, I hope so. I mean, I tend to believe that way. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of evidence to prove it, but I tend to think it's true, and so do most of the people I know, and they have good reasons for it. Uh, I tend to think it, uh, you know, that... Uh, 
nature is, uh, uh, it can be quite stingy at times with its energy, but that also can work in our favor. So um, yeah, I, I think that we have, uh, I don't believe the universe is always a friendly place. And I don't believe it's always a nice place. But I do believe it's ultimately a fair place. Yes. And that means and, that, and that we... Well, well, you know, there there are times that I have had to learn something that was a very... It, it was a very unpleasant experience. However, the lesson was well worth it. And sometimes if things are too easy, you don't learn from them. I'm I'm one of those that needs a two by four to smack me in the face, and then I then I you know for the big ones. And uh, I think you know, we're all that been... way. We just <laughs> I think it works that way with all of us. And then just over time, the the board gets smaller. But I don't think you're any exception. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's that way with all of us. <laughs> uh, and 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 at, at this point in time in my life, I I will. Say, oh my God, that's a two by four for sure, and you know it doesn't panic me as once it did. You know, it's not the end of the world yet. It's it's just you know, all right. I'm paying attention now. Maybe maybe you know use use I don't know use plywood next time. You know, it doesn't have to be a big piece <laughs> of lumber. <laughs> okay, got it. You know, and and. and if if I slip, I'm sure the universe will remind me. But uh, but you know, having egregores and being able to to identify them as something makes it easier to work with them. Right, and that's why people said that the book was life changing because, as he said, that oh, I recognized these things happening, but I didn't have a word for it. You know, once uh-huh. we have a word for it, that we can begin to. Uh, identify what's happening and say, oh, well, that's what's happening. I get it. And people say the book was life-changing because it really helped them understand how these different diverse forces or ideas are trying to control their attention and through that their actions in their life. It's not a hostile way. It's just like every day. Yeah, every day someone's trying to get your attention, to get you to buy something, to get you to go somewhere, to get you to do something. And you have to recognize that so that you can free yourself from it. And as you free yourself, you get more freedom and you can make more choices and make better choices. Absolutely. And and that's why this, this nine-week um, timeout that the world was given um, in many ways was, was beneficial because I found myself looking at things and saying, whoa, I didn't realize that you know, I was so caught up in this or controlled by this, and I choose not to do that. So my life changed tremendously because of the things I was recognizing that I wasn't paying attention to in the past. So, um, and and your book was fabulous. I and it 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 is not a long book, but but I I recommend that people read it more than once because. You you get different levels of understanding as you're repeating things that you've you've seen before, which is really phenomenal. Well, so. thank you, and I appreciate that very much. And and kind of as maybe a funny closing note, uh, I had to do uh, with the book is available as a uh, audio book as well. Inner Traditions uh, released it as one of their first forays into the audio book arena, 
And of oh, course, wow. you know, you write a book. You know, you write a book, you put it away, you don't go back to it. And so I would had to read the book, and I'm thinking, Wow, did I write that? That was actually pretty good. <laughs> we were laughing about it. Wow, that, that was pretty good there that I wrote. Wow. I should yeah, I, I, do that I, again, was, yeah. <laughs> I was going to put something up on the website that I had found in in my in my stacks of whatever, and before I did, I ran it through the um, the thing to make sure I hadn't, you know, it wasn't plagiarized from somebody. Mm-hmm. And I and you know it, it didn't come up as, as from anywhere. And I, I said to a friend of mine, this is so cool. It's so I really love this, but I don't know where I got it from. And she said, you didn't get it from anywhere. You wrote it. I remember you talking about it five years ago. Yeah. And yeah. then I realized I had I had written it. And so I hadn't, play, I hadn't plagiarized it from anybody. It was really kind of cool. Um, I, just, I just noticed... Um, um, the time and and we are right down to the last couple of minutes. You want to give out your your website where people can find your material and stuff. Well, we have an uh, entire course load on Teachable.com. So if you go to Teachable.com and look up Institute for Hermetic Studies, our entire courses are there. And if you go to Vox Hermes at WordPress, you know just you know you type that in V O X H E R M E S Vox Hermes or Mark Stavish, it'll come up. And uh, that's where our blog is at. But uh, the coursework, uh, the full line of coursework, it's complete, is available at uh, Teachable. And, of course, uh, if you go to Amazon, you can find all of our books there as well. And there's about close to 30 of them. Wow. I can't wait to dive into your library and find out more about myself. Um, You may become an egregore. Um, <laughs> Maybe a small one. Not, we, okay. we don't want to be a big one, just a small one. <laughs> well, if you stay small, you stay true to yourself, and that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I want to thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I'm so glad we got to do this, and I'm glad it took a while so I could go back and read your book again because it was definitely more worthwhile the second time. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. Oh, absolutely. Mine too. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, if you're listening in archive uh, on YouTube, please uh, do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. I want to thank Mark again. And um, have a great evening, everybody. Thanks for joining in with us. I really appreciate the energy that you send, even though I don't see you. Good night, everybody, and have a great evening. <laughs>